Harry Butthole Podcast is produced in partnership with Joy Sauce. Harry Butthole. Welcome to Harry Butthole Podcast. This is a podcast based on the Korean saying, if you laugh while crying, hair grows out of your butthole. I'm your host, Youngmi Mayer. Each week I discuss a sad story or sad topic and I attempt to laugh about it in hopes that more hair will grow out of my butthole because I famously already have a hairy butthole. And I think, you know, the reason why I named this podcast Harry Butthole is because, yes, it's about laughing while crying, but it is also about the Korean experience. So I did I did name it after a Korean popular saying, and it, it, I really feel the need to emphasize that it is an actual saying in Korea that people say, if you laugh while crying, hair grows out of your butthole. Um, and the reason why I bring that up is because This week, the topic I'm going to discuss is pregnancy and giving birth because somebody asked me, you know, I'm, I'm, um, I really want to go through all the listener suggested topics because obviously I do this for y'all. And so obviously I'm going to, I'm going to talk about stuff that you want to hear. But before I talk about that, I wanted to talk about last week's episode. I noticed that there was a lot of engagement on social media, which usually means a lot of people listen to it and the episode kind of like struck a nerve. Uh, Last week's topic was ADHD, specifically being diagnosed as an adult and what that was like as somebody from an Asian background. And so I discussed that last week, but I was very careful to point out that obviously this is my perspective and my experience. And during the episode last week, I said, I don't know anything about ADHD and what it feels like to be diagnosed and seek treatment for ADHD for someone who lives in Asia, because Obviously, I live in America and I was diagnosed here as an adult. And, you know, I was not diagnosed as a child. Um, or, you know, during the times I lived in Korea. So I sort of just asked, like, does anybody have any experience with like being diagnosed with ADHD and like seeking treatment while living, you know, in Asia or Korea? Um, and I and I got a response, a, a really wonderful, informative response from somebody, which I'm going to read. But I did uh, how I framed the question was that the only thing that I knew about ADHD um, in Korea was last summer when I tried when I was going there on my literally on my way to the airport. My ex-husband Danny was driving me and he said, hey, by the way, if you have your Adderall on you, you should leave it in the car because it's illegal in Korea. So you shouldn't risk taking it in. And I quickly Googled it and I just read like the first few results and all of them said, yes, don't don't take Adderall into Korea. It's considered, I mean, it is illegal because it's an amphetamine. And so last week when I asked this, I sort of said, you know, if you do have ADHD and live in Korea, what is your treatment like? And like I said, I got a wonderful informative response in the form of a dm on instagram i asked this person and he said that 
um, I was welcome to share his handle. So if you are somebody that wants to ask um, him more information, I'm assuming if you want information on this, it's because you're thinking of traveling or living in Korea in the future and you have ADHD. So if you have any more questions, he said, feel free to contact him. His handle is Aaron Y. Cho, spelled A-A-R-O-N dot Y dot C-H-O-E. And I'm just going to read you his DM that he sent me. Aaron says, I have adult ADHD and live in Korea. I was diagnosed here a couple years ago. There are centers where you can get tested and you can get prescribed a few medications like Ritalin, Concerta, and Wellbutrin. I take Concerta and Wellbutrin and they help me a lot. I used to go to the international clinic at first because I thought it'd be easier to get this medication versus a Taekbyeon. Uh, that just means university hospital. But now I found a psychiatrist in my neighborhood, so just go to a Korean doctor. It's actually quite nice in there. They play piano jazz, and the interior looks like a wine bar. Um, he also says, I do talk about having ADHD with others, and I've been finding other Korean people who have it and are getting help for it. But I am in the creative slash music scene, so you'll see more people, I think, who have ADHD. I think the stigmas are changing. For example, my psychiatrist, I saw young people, but also elderly people getting help, too. But yeah, you but yeah, anyways, you see a lot of discussion about ADHD on Korean TV now. There are lots of podcasts and YouTube channels that lots of Koreans watch that talk about mental health. Uh, he also says in the West, they have a really superior view of themselves when they look at Asia and say people don't talk about mental health here when it's way more complicated than that. FYI, I got checked for ADHD because I was. I'm, I just want to be a little bit vague. He's working on a show and it was up about mental health and he had a bad experience. So he had a lot of mental problems from that. Okay, so then he says, anyways, my medication is covered by my national health care. And so it's really cheap. And But he does say that his therapy sessions are very, very expensive and those aren't covered by the government. He says living in Seoul is very intense. And as a Korean-American, I get triggered a lot. And the medication has helped him. Sorry, I'm just going to skim the past. So he just says that medication has really helped him, especially with feelings of inadequacy, feeling like a failure, with mood swings. And it's really helped him not feel like he's going to throw in the towel. Okay, so th that was his DM. Um, and then I asked him how much his therapy sessions were. And he said there were 90,000 to 300,000 won, which is approximately, I think, 80 to $270 ish. And I know that that might not seem expensive if you live in America, because that's pretty on par with, I think, what people pay for therapy here. But he, you know, we, we basically discussed how in Korea, the healthcare system is so good there that Koreans are not used to paying anything for anything. Like it's so rare to even pay more than $10 for any, any sort of service. So I can see how for Koreans, like $250 for therapy, you know, once a week would seem like outrageous. Um, and so we, we covered that. And then he also said that to be diagnosed uh, for ADHD, there are tests and they there's a really huge range. Um, they cost anywhere from 100,000 to 2 million won, which is um, like $90 to like 
like $1,800 for the test. Um, and I'm assuming that I, I'm assuming that people, you know, need to get those like very professional tests to receive the medication. But as Aaron said, after you get the test, the medication is basically free. Oh, and then he added, oh, sorry, he DM'd me while I was recording this. He says that there's a big difference from our parents and Koreans now, which I definitely agree with because Korean American parents are stuck in the mindset where they, when they immigrated. I completely agree with Aaron on this. I think my way of explaining this phenomenon is like, you know, sometimes you will go to a restaurant, like a Korean restaurant, and you can tell that the people, you can tell like what year the people moved to the States from Korea because it's like a time capsule of a restaurant that I remember like from the 90s. I'm like, this person moved to this, to America in 1995 because the panchan and the dishes and the way the, the menu is printed is literally a t- time capsule from 1995. Meanwhile, like Koreans in Korea have like you know change the trends you know obviously like food trends like evolve very quickly and there is no restaurant that looks like this in korea anymore oh and then he says his parents who are korean american you know immigrants their attitudes are way more different or way different than korean koreans people korean people in korea sorry i'm I'm trying to read and record this at the same time i should have read this before but he just sent it to me um, which I completely agree with. I, I do think people in Korea, you know, they're they're just way more connected to the, the community at large. And they do seem to move at a progressive rate because not to generalize, but I think a lot of immigrants that live in America, not not only Korean immigrants, are sort of isolated because they don't feel like they're part of the larger community you know, they'd still feel like immigrants, I think. Again, not to generalize, but just something I've seen from some Korean immigrants. And then compared to Korean people, even older Korean people who live in Korea, they they, they feel very much connected to the whole community there. And so I have noticed that. Anyway, um, I wanted to read that because obviously the topic last week was very popular among listeners and I saw a lot of people commenting that this was their experience and that's just one aspect of it that I personally had knew nothing about I know that I I don't know what Concerta is but I I know that Wellbutrin is a I was prescribed Wellbutrin a few years ago and and I think it's an antidepressant um but I'm not sure if either of those are stimulants. I know Ritalin is, so I'm not sure about all that, but I'm, um, but, you know, obviously, according to Aaron, if you do have um, issues like psychiatric issues and are planning to visit or live in Korea in the future, obviously, they have a very... <laughs> very good medical care uh health care system there you know i think as americans if you're american listening to this we all know at this point that ours is the worst so <laughs> the assumption should be that other places will have a better system 
Or at least one that doesn't cost $50,000 for one Advil. You know what I mean? Um, but I did uh, also, I did want to touch on the thing that Aaron said where there's this assumption that in the West we know more about psychiatric and psychological fields. Like, you know what I mean? Like, there's an assumption that in America they think that they're on top of that area of medical care sorry i'm like reading out loud kicked my ass i don't know if you can tell but i I feel like i have not read out loud since i was probably uh, 11 years old and that i'm like now i'm winded (laughs) just trying to read things into a microphone i uh, that tore my ass up (laughs) i need practice um seriously if you're listening to this Try to read something out loud. You're going <laughs> to... I felt nervous. I felt like this was like the like the sixth grade uh, recital or something. Like, don't fuck up the reading. Um, but I, di- I did want to share that with you because I know that, like I said, four million times already. It's It seems like a very popular topic. And so now, now we all know. Thank you, Aaron. Thank you so much for t- teaching us that Korea is on top of their ADHD... Uh, medical re, re, I don't know they're they're on top of it and why did I ever think that they wouldn't be because they're so on top of everything you know related to health care like I went to the dentist 15 years ago I remember in Korea and it was like going to the dentist in the future like they still don't have the shit that they had in Korea 15 years ago, you know, if you ever go, I'm, you know, I'm sure a lot of you have been to hospitals outside of America. It's like, holy shit, we have it really bad here. You know, it's just like, what are we doing? It's like when you like fly back from any Asian country and then you go like you're in their nice, fancy, shiny airport and then you get back to fucking Newark and you're like, holy fuck. Is that, it's like they have the TVs in Newark that like have a back, like they're not flat screen, you know, where it's like two feet of TV behind the screen. Like what year did those go out of, what year did they stop making those TVs? You know, there's like ashtrays in the arms of like the chairs in JFK. There's an ashtray built into the chair. JFK like when when did smoking become illegal indoors in the 90s Jesus anyway um so that's my info like I said this week the topic that I wanted to discuss was pregnancy and having a baby the person that left a comment asking me to talk about it said you know I I heard you here let me read it to you Uh oh more reading out loud this is gonna kick my ass even more let me uh <laughs> let me take let me take a few breaths because you know i'm it's gonna get me winded um let me just read this topic that somebody left they said papa dude dude i'm gonna have to find it first they said oh this person said well i mean she like left it publicly so i'm, I'm sure it's okay to read it but it said she was listening during a uh, pregnancy scare she was taking a pregnancy test 
And she said, I know you've made an episode about your abortion, which I also enjoyed. Maybe you could talk about your pregnancy with Mino and how your nine months carrying him went. Thanks. Love your content. I've never talked about this. So I was like, okay, why not? And there's like so many interesting things. But I think I, I did talk about this briefly on this podcast with Alex Pavulier, who's my very close friend, and we had babies around the same time, we actually did a SoundCloud podcast called Just Moms. I don't even know if it's if you can still find it, but we had four episodes because we felt that the topics that we were talking about um, on birth and having a newborn, literally nobody talked about. And I know that's like the premise of five billion (laughs) mothering parenting podcasts and books and shows but I swear to god even to this day if I bring up some of the things that we talked about on that podcast just moms available nowhere except soundcloud and maybe not anymore um even now if I bring up some of these topics people are like what you know um and so I guess I'm going to talk about those things that I used to talk so much to Alex about um, pregnancy. I would okay. The the one thing about pregnancy that I feel like no one really tells you is, and again, this is all my perspective and my experience. So if it's not yours, I'm not. I'm sorry. And also, it it might not be true for you, right? This isn't the objective truth here. This is very subjective. During pregnancy. I was really concerned because I didn't feel any emotional connection with the baby. And I thought that was weird. I thought I was supposed to start like feeling like I love this baby, but I I didn't. And because I didn't see it. And, you know, I was like very disconnected to my, my stomach was getting bigger, but I was like, you know, it's like not like a, you can't, it's really hard to wrap your head around the fact that it's a person. And I remember feeling kind of guilty. Like, I was like, am I supposed to, like, love this baby? I don't, I don't even know. It doesn't even seem like a baby, whatever. It seemed very abstract. But I think around month seven, you know, this entire time I was feeling guilty that I didn't care about the baby. Month seven, I had a nightmare where somebody stabbed me on the street and the baby died. And I got so sad. Like I was devastated. And when I woke up, I was like, oh, I do. I do somewhere inside care very much about this baby. Because before that nightmare, I was like, if I had a miscarriage, I don't think I would really care. Like that's how I felt. But then after that nightmare, I was like, oh, I, I do really care. And I, and I am, you know, I do love this very abstract idea. <laughs> um, of a baby. And I remember that very distinctly because before that moment, I really didn't think that I cared. Um, but then I also feel like talking to a lot of people, they said the same thing. They were like, it was really hard to really feel anything because it's it's really hard to wrap your head around the fact that it, there's a baby in there. And then I think it's very important for me to say this, and it's it does make me a little uncomfortable, but after I gave birth, I still didn't care about my baby <sighs> and did not feel this. You hear a lot of people say after they give birth, they have this like rush of intense emotion, like they, f- they have this these like uh, hormones. And I think physiologically, I, I've read that 
your brain makes like this cocktail of hormones that resembles what it feels like to fall in love, like oxytocin and, you know, endorphins and things like that. And they flood, supposedly, your your brain gets flooded with these hormones as soon as you give birth. So you have this connection with your baby. Did not feel that in the least. Zero. I don't know what. Maybe it's you know, at that point, you know, I, I it was undiagnosed ADHD, but maybe there's something going on in my brain chemistry that that wasn't happening. Did not fucking feel that whatsoever. Zero felt nothing. And I felt so scared. I thought I was demented. Um, and then later I like read on a pregnancy forum and so many, like I would say like thousands, like tens of thousands of people were saying the same thing. They're like, I felt nothing. And then I called my mom and my mom was like, it, when I gave birth, I thought the baby was disgusting. I, I did not like the baby. And it took a few months for me to fall in love with the, with the baby. The baby in this, <laughs> in this conversation, meaning me. And I was like, oh, okay, mom, great. Um, and, and so after the fact, I learned that it's actually very common for women to feel absolutely nothing towards their baby. Sometimes even disgust, like my mom. <laughs> but for me in my case absolutely nothing I was like what is what like what is this thing you know um and so that's extremely common no one no one fucking talks about that we only hear about the I fell in love with my baby immediately story um but I have to say even though I didn't feel in love with my baby I remember reading the forum and the forum people were like hey if this is how you feel don't worry it's it's gonna happen and a lot of people were saying by the time like my baby was two, I was like so in love. And that's kind of what happened to me. I think by the time he was like six months and it, it, got, it got deeper and deeper every day. And so by the time he was six months, I was like absolutely obsessed, so in love. And then, you know, by the, by the end of a year, I was just fucking obsessed with him. Um, and it is very common. And I, and I want to I always try to tell people that because I think people get really scared in that moment, you know, when they don't feel that falling in love feeling with their baby. And that's okay. It will definitely come. Um, so that's something important. I think another thing, God, I feel like, why haven't I ever talked about this? There's so many things that I feel like are important because it's like people feel so ashamed, you know, like even that thing talking about not loving your baby right away I think so many people feel ashamed because it just doesn't seem you feel like you're the only one because no one wants to talk about it because it's embarrassing right or there it feels like there's something wrong with you um another thing and I have talked about this a little bit about breastfeeding it was um the fucking worst and it was so much harder than anything else like the pregnancy the birth fucking nothing it's just fucking easy peasy compared to breastfeeding it was a nightmare um oh but before i talk about breastfeeding i want to talk about this one other thing that i noticed while i was pregnant a lot of my friends um, and people i met during my pregnancy who are also pregnant they would obsess obsess about the birth like first time parents like first time people who are pregnant all they would talk about is their birth plan and they were like we're gonna have you know 
obviously it's very trendy now to have like this natural birth in a in a bathtub in the fucking woods or something you know <laughs> and they had this like very intense like we're gonna have a, a bathtub made of cedar and we're gonna put a little fire under and like whatever whatever we're gonna be in upstate massachusetts because this the trees are a certain color and blah 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 and I'm going to have four doulas and a fucking night nurse and blah, blah, blah. And but not even that part, just like the actual act of the birth, like they were obsessed with it. And I always wondered why that was because I wasn't. I was just like, I'm going to go to the fucking hospital. Who cares? I don't know. I'm, I'm just going to I have no birth plan. It's going to happen. And people were like, are you going to get an epidural? I was like, I don't give a fuck. I don't know. I'll I'll see at the at that time if I want one, you know. And I I think that the obsession with the birth plan, this is my assessment of people who are so obsessed with the birth plan. I think that whatever is going to come after the birth is so terrifying to them that they can't like put like wrap their minds around it. So they obsess about that one event. And it that's my that's how I that's how I see it. Probably not true for everybody, because I feel like my the people that I know, even now, like after I had a baby, when I meet someone and they're pregnant, they'll like go fucking off about their fucking birth plan. And I'm like and then you know, the birth is like one one millionth of like the life of your child. You know, like that's just a, a split second and then it's you have a baby. And I, I do really think that that's like a lot of people's way of processing this huge shift that's about to happen in their life. You know, they like obsess about that one moment. It's kind of like, I think, how a lot of people obsess about weddings, like, because it's so hard to like, sort of wrap your head around the commitment of marriage. So you just obsess about the fucking four hour wedding and like, what are we going to eat and the cake and the fucking dress and whatever, right? It kind of reminds me of that a little bit. But um, so if you are, you know, if you're having a baby, like, but, but maybe that's your reaction to it, too. Maybe you're obsessed with a birth plan. That's fine. It is a fucking, it is a fucking really like profound thing to have a baby. And whatever your fucking brain needs to do to process that whole, that whole fucking thing. Who cares? That's like. Your brain needs to soothe itself. Why not let it focus on the fucking water birth, you know, in, in Massachusetts? Let it do what it wants to do. Because, you know, after you got, you got the baby, then you're sitting in the room. This is for me what happened. I, I didn't have a birth plan. I didn't have any plan. I was just sort of like winging it. And it like, I think day three, I was like, oh, shit. Like, this is oh, this is just forever. Like, that's when it hit me. Like, I didn't read any books. I didn't prepare. I think I bought a crib and a, a few diapers and, like, two outfits. And I was like, oh, I need all this other stuff. Why didn't I read anything about this? But, um, you know, even me, even though I didn't obsess on the birth plan, I think the 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 gravity of like what what's happening it just there's there's absolutely no way to prepare for it you know there's you can't imagine what it's like because there's no way to imagine what it's like you know but um I think the I guess I guess now I'll get into the fucking breath the hard part the breastfeeding I, I always say um 
having a newborn is just like the fucking worst thing like it's 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 trauma on a level that I, I literally can't explain you know like how in the old days it was like men go to war and women have babies and have take care of children and it seemed kind of stupid it seems kind of like weird that men have to go to war and women it seems like their part of the bargain is way easier no no i would rather <laughs> i'm telling you right now especially back in the day when like half of the women just died giving birth but if there was no like modern conveniences like cribs and stuff like not not cribs but you know like bottles and what's that swing the swing where it's just the mechanical swing where it just swings your baby if we didn't have that if it was like 1850 i would have fucking 1000 million percent rather go to war than fucking have a baby and rear no thank you one that like men have it had it easier way easier um i don't understand i don't know how to explain to somebody like the trauma of having a baby it's like life-threatening feeling and that's in 20 you know 2014 when i had a baby with all the all the like comforts of modern life life-threatening feeling i don't i don't know how to explain it better than that um just it feels nuts and you know like i was saying like day three was when it hit me like it, this is forever and it's not gonna end was because day three i hadn't slept and like the gravity of that hit me because before you know like let's say when you don't have a baby and you go out and you party and you drink too much and do drugs and you get home at 4 a.m and you have to work at eight so you sleep like two hours you get to work and you're like man i feel like shit this is what it feels like to not sleep but then you get off work and then you can just sleep for who cares who gives a fuck you can sleep for whatever 15 hours right to make up for that one night the, what i didn't realize is if, if you have a baby there is no 15 hour recovery time ever ever it never and, and i think that hit me on day three i was like i will never be able to just sleep in for a extended period for longer than two hours or an hour and a half for years <laughs> like that hit me and i cried so hard i was like holy fuck so so imagine that feeling you know if you don't have a baby or if you've never had a, a kid you know the feeling of the i went i'm at work because i slept two hours last night because i did a bunch of coke and i was partying all night but thank god i'm gonna go home and sleep that feeling for years like that's like that's what i mean that's what people mean by you don't get to sleep because that sentence sounds so innocent you know you don't ever get to sleep ever and like you will get a pocket of like an hour and a half of sleep and that will be delicious to you an hour and a half it's 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 like next level it's horrible it's it 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 profoundly changed me there is no recovering from that <laughs> like i'm a different person um okay i was i haven't even started with the breastfeeding thing which is again the absolute worst part none of what i discussed so far was even close to being as bad as the breastfeeding thing oh my god um but i 
I had a breastfeeding is very difficult, but I personally had a very hard time because I have very thin skin on my nipples. And if you, you know, don't have a kid, I, I have a guaranteed test to that will pr- that will tell you if breastfeeding is going to really hurt your nipples or not. Um, just touch your the skin on your lips. And if you have thin skin on your lips, breastfeeding is going to hurt so bad. It's it's going to it's going to be the worst pain you've ever felt in your life because I have very thin skin on my lips. It's so thin that I regularly get sunburn on my lips and not I never get sunburn on my face, you know, it's very rare. But even if I'm just out walking around, sometimes I'll get a sunburn on my lips because the thin the skin is so thin and that's everyone's lip skin is the same skin you have on your nipples. Just by the way. Um, and so it hurt so bad that I f- felt like I was losing my mind. And, you know, when babies are newborns, they nurse all the time because their bellies are so tiny and they have to just keep drinking like every hour or something. Um, another, I'm just going to I'm just going to tell you all about breastfeeding. Like everything that could have gone wrong with breastfeeding went wrong with me, except Mino latched well. He latched immediately. This is, this is something that no one ever told me. Um, but did you know that after you give birth, your body doesn't immediately just know how much milk to make for the baby. And it doesn't know that the baby has been born or it does, but it takes like, up up to seven days for the milk to start flowing. D- did you know that? It, it takes anywhere between two to seven days for milk to come out of your fucking boobs. And during that time, before the milk comes in, because there's all these like hormones triggering your brain, telling your brain that we've given birth now, so get the milk ready. During that time, the baby is not starving but thinks it's starving because there's nothing coming out of your nipples except for a, a, a oil i think it's called i always forget what it's called there is a yellow oil that comes out of your nipples and it's supposed to be the only thing that comes out because it's extremely nutrient dense and it has all these like important chemicals and stuff in it that um i don't know people are still trying to study it it's like this yellow oil and it's so nutrient dense that even like a drop is enough nutrition for the baby to live, right? And it's getting drops of this oil every time it tries to nurse. But even though it has enough nutrition to live, it's not filling. So the baby thinks it's starving and it's just crying the entire time until the milk comes in, which can, again, be up to seven days Seven days of scream crying. Do you understand? And you you just gave birth. So your fucking taint is ripped to shreds. Feels like you got hit by a fucking dump truck in the taint. Looks like shredded taco night. It looks like the ground beef on American tacos, Taco Tuesday. That's what your hoo-ha looks like. You're wearing an adult diaper. And 
and your breasts are like really swollen because they're getting ready to do something god knows what but nothing's coming out because it's fucking drops of yellow oil then the fucking baby is scream crying 24 24 7 and like that's that's the first week of your baby's life right and and on top of that if you have thin nipple skin it, it's good your nipples are going to be sh- shred I, shredded like uh, you know and the, part of all this like to help your milk come out fast people suggest things like you have to pump while they're asleep or something right so i would like wake up and try to pump because it hurt my nipples hurt so much and trying to like get the milk to come out faster and i remember one morning i was like half asleep i just put the fucking breast pump on my boobs i look down it's full of fucking blood it's like two ounces of blood and one ounce of fucking not even one ounce like the one ounce of milk it was like right when my milk came in it looked like strawberry milk it looked like nesquik strawberry milk there's so much blood squirting out of these bad boys they were shredded my hoo-ha and my nipples taco meat taco meat anyway so that so that happened with the breastfeeding my actual my milk actually came in pretty early it was like only like day three or day four but those were the longest fucking four days of my entire existence and then it was strawberry milk coming out because my nipples were shredded and then i got um a fucking b- breast infection which happens to everybody one of your milk ducts gets infected but i didn't know because i I had like flu-like symptoms, but I just thought that's how you're supposed to feel after giving birth. So I was like, yeah, it's, I guess this is what it feels like having not like uncontrollable shivers and feeling like nauseous all day. No, I had a a severe infection. I went two months without getting it checked up because I thought it was normal. And then it was so infected that I had to have surgery. And like, he couldn't even like, um, and then he gave me a bunch of Percocet and I couldn't take the Percocet because I wanted to breast continue breastfeeding, but I, I can't take Percocet anyway because I'm like allergic to opioids. And then, and then I had to continue breastfeeding my baby from one boob. I've never told anyone this. This is this is new information. I continued to breastfeed my son out of one fucking boob for a year and a half after the surgery, and it got so big, and my other boob got so small that I am shocked that they it's still a little bigger than the other one but it's not very noticeable but because I was only feeding him from one boob it was now making the amount of milk that two boobs should have been making so like eight to ten ounces of milk of out of one boob so like in between nursing it was it was gigant it was like a football and the other one was shriveled. It was like I had one giant football in my sweater. Like holding a football in my fucking sweater. I can't believe I've never told anybody that. I fed this child for a year and a half from one boob. And then sometimes he would sleep too long. Like, you know, like after a few months, they start sleeping for like seven hours sometimes. Which is great. Because you're like, finally, I can sleep. But then I couldn't because my fucking boob was throbbing. And then I would have to pump it. And I'd be like filling like bottles upon bottles. This is, is this too much information? No, it's not. You, the people need to know. Um, and then, oh, and then the last problem I have with the breastfeeding, I told you this is bad, 
is that I developed like a psychosomatic reaction because it was so painful because my nipples were shredded like taco meat, just spewing blood, like just just projectile blood spewing out of my nipples, right? Um, I developed a psychosomatic uh, reaction where the my body just stopped sending blood to my chest. It's, it was called like Raynaud's syndrome. And usually people get it in their hands. I had it in my nipples. So then after nursing for two hours, I got the most like excruciating pins and needles for two hours in my torso and it's so rare that it took like three months for the doctor to like finally diagnose me I kept going to her and she's like I have never I don't know what's going on that doesn't sound like anything what do you mean you have pins and needles in your in your chest and your back and then three months into it she finally was like it's called Raynaud's syndrome it's a psychosomatic response to pain and I was like great and she was like you got to put uh, hand warmers in your bra and take hypertension medication. And I was like, cool. It's excruciating. So that that was me. That was like my life giving birth. And then on top of all that, didn't care about the baby. The, and then, you know, like, do you, and also, do you know this? Newborns do not have any fucking emotion besides rage. Like, uh, rage screaming crying that's their only emotion for months your baby only scream cries for like at least two or three months and then three months in they learn how to smile did you did anyone know did you know that yup it's just scream crying at you i i had i remember i had nightmares that there was like a angry like uh, you know, like those blind mole, like a mole rat larva in the corner of my room that was chasing me and screaming at me. That's the kind of nightmares I had when my baby was newborn. Also, all of this that I just told you, I know a lot of maybe people that you know aren't honest with you and they won't tell you all this because they're like, no, I, I love my baby. I'm a great mom. All of what I just told you, completely normal, completely in the scope of normal. Like, this is just shit every person, except for the Raynaud's thing, which is r- apparently rare. Everything else that I told you, the infection, surgery, the milk coming out uh, too late, days later, the blood filling the fucking pump. All of those things are 100% like every other person goes through that. Every Like, feeling nothing for the baby. This is all in the scope of normal. This is the shit that nobody tells you about. Because like, no one says it so whenever they're happening to you you bring it up to people and people will be like yep me too and i'm like why didn't you fucking tell me when i was pregnant you know no one will tell you but you know who will tell you i will and i and i tell i always i remember after i gave birth i would tell i would see people that were pregnant and i didn't want to scare them i would just go up to them and be like hey just so you know it is really bad and if you are struggling, you can contact me at any time. And just so you know, it's not you, it's everybody. Like, I would just say something like that. And after a while, I stopped because every time I would say it, they would look terrified. And I was like, this is probably not helpful. So I would just, I started saying if I saw someone pregnant, I'd just be like, if you ever need to talk to me about anything, I am always there for you like I would just say it like that 
because I feel like sometimes I would be like, it's really hard. And then they would be like, it would make it worse, you know? Anyway, there's so many other things that I have not even touched on. Um, but I remember the other day, this is what I'll leave you with because this is inspirational. The other day, somebody was like, I don't know about having kids. Like, I never did it because I couldn't, like, get on top of my finances or, like, figure out where I was going to live or how I was going to do it or whatever. And I remember somebody telling me this when I was, like, pregnant or planning on having a kid. You just fucking do it because you have to do it. Like, if you're in a place in your life where you're, like, financially, I can't afford it and I don't have the space or blah 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 but you want a kid even after everything I just said you still want a kid that must mean that you really want a kid and you should have a kid you after hearing the taco meat nipple thing you still want a baby you you should have a baby then that it's definitely in your cards Uh, if you're worried about all these outside things you know like money and stuff like that though this is advice somebody told me you're just gonna do it because there's no other there's no other option like if you don't have enough money for this and that and this you're gonna you are gonna figure out how to do it because you have to and that's what having a kid is like 99 percent. i think people look at me and think wow how did how is she doing this i don't fucking have a choice you know (laughs) like it's like you just get up and you make food and you clean the poop off the walls, don't ask, and and you just do it, and you just do it every day, and that, and you will do it, if you want a kid, and you have a kid, you will do it, because you won't have any other choice. Okay, so I just remembered something, and I added this in um, after I recorded, because I was listening to the first part where I was talking about Korea, and the healthcare. Okay, so I just want to say this one thing really quickly, because I think a lot of people don't know this about Korea. So if you've had a baby in the States or somewhere not Korea, and I think this is actually, they do this in Japan, and I think China too, uh, one or the other, I forgot, or both, both countries, or maybe other places in Asia. But they have this thing for, because it's so hard after you give birth, all the stuff that I just shared with you, the sleeping and, you know, not being able to have time and like the trauma of that. They have these places that are like spa slash resort places. And it's like an extension of this cultural belief that after giving birth, women need to be sort of taken care of by their community, like their mothers-in-law or sisters or whatever, you know, other people in their community. Traditionally, those roles were not male roles like other you know women in their family unit um but you know now that we everyone lives in this sort of nuclear family dynamic in korea there are places that you go after you give birth and your spouse or male member or partner if you have a male partner is not allowed to come i think there's like certain visiting hours but it's basically for you and the baby and it's 24 hour nursing care and you basically go there and because they believe that after you give birth it's really unhealthy to uh like do any sort of physical labor domestic labor like dishes or making food so you just stay there and lay down and eat food and relax and like learn how to breastfeed if it's your first time and um, with all the nurses that are there to help you and if you ever get tired they'll like watch your baby so you can sleep and 
um, you know, bring your baby when it's time to nurse, things like that. And they're just like 24 hour, 24 seven care facilities. And they kind of resemble like spas, like there's like places where you can, you know, get appropriate levels of like massage and things like that. And I forgot what it's called, but you stay there for a month and it's it's not like required, but most people do it because just like healthcare, this thing is also affordable. So it's like priced at a point that most people can do it. I believe it's some of them only cost like $2,000 for the entire month. And you probably share a room with other women, but that's actually kind of, I mean, I don't know, you know, if you've given birth, you probably know this, but it kind of feels good to be around other people because it's so lonely. And um, everyone in Korea does it because it's, you know, obviously the prices range from, I'm guessing, $2,000 for the entire month, including food and board, by the way. It's just all inclusive. $2,000. And but, you know, of course, the wealthier you are, you can opt for a way more expensive, fancier version. But everyone does it, no matter, you know, what your socioeconomic status is because it's you know affordable for everybody but I just had I just remembered this because I remember when I was going through having a newborn in America my mom was like explaining that to me and she was like why are you doing dishes and why are you you know doing this and that like you're not supposed to get out of bed and I think I don't know if this is in Korea but I think maybe maybe yeah I think in Korea too they believe it's really bad for your like chi and like your energy to shower and bathe, I think, for the first few weeks. So you don't like there's all these like interesting cultural things. But I just remembered this and I wanted to add that in because, you know, it's related to what I was talking about at the top of this episode. Anyway, that was just my that was the very, very. uh <sighs> not even the whole story about my thoughts on being pregnant and giving birth. Um, if you have any questions, please, you know, post them in the social media and I will touch on them. If you want to DM me about information, you know, that you think I got wrong, or maybe I, I don't know about like the Aaron who sent this wonderful DM about uh, ADHD in Korea. Um, or just, you know, you have something to add, please, feel free to DM me or comment on the Harry Butthole Instagram. It's at Harry Butthole Podcast on Instagram. Or if you can, please donate to the Patreon at patreon.com slash Harry Butthole. If you suggest a topic for me to discuss on the Patreon, I will get to those before the Instagram comments, just because, you know, obviously you have to subscribe and donate money for the Patreon. And it's very, very helpful. Um, I, I, you know, I'm trying to be more active on the uh, the Patreon, but right now, um, if you donate, you have the oper- the chance, the privilege to offer a topic of discussion that will be read before the Instagram is basically all you get. Um, again, the Patreon's patreon.com slash Harry Butthole. The Instagram is Harry Butthole Podcast. And, you know, obviously you don't have to donate you can suggest any anything that you want me to talk about my and my instagram social media is ym mayor except for tiktok where it's young me mayor and that's it i'll see you next week thank you bye